Hello, welcome once again to the Successful Farming Podcast. I'm Jason Meeker. I'm the host of the podcast. I'm also the executive producer of Successful Farming Television on RFD TV. Please visit the show's website at agriculture.com slash podcast. You can get more information from today's show and you can listen to previous shows. And also make sure you subscribe on iTunes or on Google Music or whatever podcasting software you use so, you, uh, so you're sure to n- never miss a show. There's been a lot of talk on social media lately about mental health issues, and I, I really don't think that enough can be said about it to help kind of break down the stigma attached to these things. Uh, we really need to continue to talk about it. So despite the fact that some of you may have already heard this topic discussed on other podcasts or read about it in other places, I don't think it can be repeated too much. So before we get today's interview, I want to read some excerpts from an article in the October 13th, 1985 Des Moines Register, an article by Blair Kamen. Anguish forecloses on lives of three farmers. The hands that killed them are the hands that farm the land, that fed the cattle, that raised the hogs. Weathered hands, strong hands, their own hands. Gordon Geiken drove a pickup truck down a dirt road near his Vinton farm, pointed a shotgun at his head, and fired. Marvin Reed walked into the garage of his Riverside, Iowa Falls home, and he too turned a gun on himself. Stephen Meeker went to an outbuilding on his Letts farm, strung a rope around a beam, and laid a noose around his neck. The three Iowa farmers all committed suicide in a single week the seven days from September 20th to 26th, 1985. None of them knew each other. Their deaths are related only because they show that as years of affluence yield to years of anguish, these are desperate times on the world's richest farmland. Stephen Meeker, 32, the son of a prominent hog farmer, watched helplessly as creditors demanded payment on the mortgage on his father's land and threatened the son's prize group of Hampshire hogs. The father faced losing the land, but it was the son who killed himself. In rural Letts, at the intersection of two county roads, there's a white sign picturing the black body of a Hampshire hog. The sign says, Hampshire's more meat for more profit. Orville Meeker and Sons, three-quarter miles north, one-quarter mile west. The potholed gravel road leads to the white farmhouse, where Stephen Meeker lived until four days before his 33rd birthday. Orville Meeker raised seven sons in the house. By this fall, Stephen Meeker, tall, muscular, with a red beard, easygoing, level-headed, was the only one who made his living from farming. According to the Muscatine County Sheriff's Office, Orville Meeker found his son hanging by the neck in an outbuilding on the farm September 26th. Everything just hit him all at once, and he couldn't handle it, said Stephen's brother, Dennis Meeker. Dennis sat in a Holiday Inn lobby across from the factory where he works. I'm angry for farming being the way it is, he said, and I'm angry at Steve for doing what he did. I'm angry at myself for not tending to my own brother. Then Dennis broke down, as if to pray. He cupped his hands. The hands that no longer farm the land and raise the hogs. The hands that now assemble electric fork trucks in a factory. The hands that carried his brother to his grave. He bowed his head in those hands and wept. Stephen Meeker, in that article, was my uncle, my dad's brother. 
Uh, my point is not to compare the 80s farm crisis to what's happening today in agriculture. I do want to emphasize just how far-reaching an effect suicide can have. In a lot of ways, our family was never the same. Today, we have an obligation to the farming and ranching community to help and support them in any way we can. I want to share some troubling statistics from the U.S. Centers for Disease Control uh, from a recent article in Iowa Farmer Today dated December 10th, 2016 by Brandy Jansen from the University of Iowa, Iowa's Center for Agricultural Safety and Health. The National Farm Medicine Center in Marshfield, Wisconsin, tracked farm suicides during the 80s in the upper Midwest, the region most affected by the farm crisis, to try better to understand the relationship between the farm economy and suicide. They found that 913 male farmers in the region committed suicide during that decade, with rates peaking in 1982 at 58 suicides for every 100,000 male farmers and ranchers. Rates among the general population were about 31 suicides per 100,000 white males. Compare that with this year's CDC report in 2016, which found that current national suicide rates for people working in agriculture are 84.5 per 100,000 overall and 90.5 per 100,000 among males. This means that suicide rates among male farmers are now more than 50% higher than they were in 1982 at the peak of the farm crisis. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Jamie Delafield, OSU Extension Educator in Hardin County, Ohio. She's a former youth pastor and is a certified mental health first aid instructor. And we'll talk to her right after this. Want to see the latest in machinery, agronomy, and technology? Then tune in to the successful farming TV show every week on RFD-TV. Join me, Dave Moitz, and Lori Bedore, Jesse Scott, and Anna McConnell. This show delivers the latest trends, newest technology, and takes a look at machinery of yesterday and today. RFD-TV is on Dish Network, DirecTV, and most major cable providers. Find additional programming information at agriculture.com slash TV. Welcome back to the Successful Farming Podcast. Today, I'm speaking with Jamie Delafield from Ohio State University Extension. She is in the Family and Consumer Sciences area in Hardin County, correct? Yes, Hardin County. Okay. Jamie, thanks for uh, for joining me today. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do there. Well, first of all, thank you um, for inviting me to speak on the program. We um, at, I've been with Extension since October of 2015, and... I have always had an interest in mental health and mental health awareness. My undergraduate degree is in psychology, and I was a youth and children's pastor for 17 years. So I've always wanted to help people be the best that they can be and always been intrigued by how people work and fell into mental health awareness with extension in November of 2015, a colleague of mine, Amanda Rains, and I went to what is called a mental health first aid training. And in that training, we were given information about how to identify signs and symptoms of mental health um, 
problems and mental health diseases. And while we were there, we recognized that in extension, we are in all 50 states, we are in the majority of counties, and we work with everyone, right? Our job is to help people find research-based information to make their lives better, right? So you want to do what we can. And as we became aware of that, we realized that we're not talking about this. We're not talking about the fact that there are one in five American adults who are diagnosed with a a mental illness. And those are not including the individuals who don't seek help. And in doing that, we need to help people understand that there should not be a stigma. You should not be afraid to get help, just like you wouldn't be afraid to go to the doctor if you had asthma or if you had an allergy, you would seek help. We want people to know that um, there is help out there. And we want extension professionals not to be people who diagnose, but also are able to lead people in the right direction to help find the help in their communities. So in preparation for this episode, I I found an article from uh, December of 2016 and it, it had uh, some statistics and I know statistics on an audio podcast are going to be a little bit hard for the audience to kind of, kind of conceptualize, but um, in 1982, and now, so this was at the height of the uh, 80s farm crisis, uh, su- the suicide rate for male farmers and ranchers was 58 out of every 100,000 males. And in 2016, people working in agriculture, the suicide rate was 84.5 per uh, 100,000 and 90.5 among males. So that ca- uh, calculates to about a 50% higher rate currently than in 1982. Now, some of that may be due to the fact that there are are fewer farmers now altogether, but still, why do you think farmers and ranchers are at a higher risk for suicide? We actually had a conversation about this um, just recently. We have been working in in extension with the North Central Regional Center for Rural Development and working with what's called the CAPE Project. And the CAPE Project is to bring community action planning and more um, awareness about behavioral health. And we had a conversation and a couple of things that we determined from our experience and from studies that we have read is that now we have individuals that um, farming is more technology driven than it was in the past. Mm -hmm. So farmers have potentially a little more time on their hands because it's not taking as long in the fields as it used to. The other thing is, is that we are now a society where we don't engage with one another. I know that um, growing up in rural Ohio, I worked at a coffee shop um, as my job in high school and college. And you knew at a certain time, the farmers were all going to come in for their morning coffee. They were all going to visit. They were all going to chit chat. They were going to enjoy some time together. I don't see as much of that interaction because we seem to be so busy. So farmers are more isolated now, right? You put your little pot in your Keurig and you get in your um, tractor and out you go. And because machinery is now doing more things that your neighbors used to help with, we're not engaging with one another like we used to. We also, I think, um, in general, we're more private Yeah, That's- than we used to be. Yeah, and that's the interesting kind of uh, oxymoron that is social media is that people feel like they're more connected. And in a way, there are more people that you 
are connected with virtually, but it's just not the same as having that one-on-one interaction, like you said, in the coffee shop um, or, or visiting uh, after church or what, whatever. People, there's a kind of an illusion um, that social media gives us that we are connected, but it's... Yeah, there's no affect either. So I am more likely to text you than I am to call you. In texting, I can't tell whether you're sad, whether you're happy. I don't know what your mood is. So if I'm texting you and saying, hey, blah, 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 I don't really know what that means. Where before I would pick up the phone and I had to be intentional. I also think about growing up. Every Sunday was a day where we were with family and where my grandparents' home, um, they were farmers. It was a revolving door of everyone in the community, right? Everybody visited we're afraid now to visit with others. And I don't know why we're fearful, but I think that that's the best word that I have found for that. We're, we're not more, we're unlikely to put ourselves out there because, oh, we don't want to bother anyone. There have been studies, right, for a very long time. And you think back to basic psychology 101, where you have the little rhesus monkey who doesn't do well because he's in a cage where there's no fur. And then there's the cage that has the fur where he can lay on and the monkey with the fur and the contact survives longer because it mimics a mom and it mimics. So we are missing out. Um, Studies show that you need anywhere from 13 to 20 hugs a day for positive mental health, depending on your age. 13 to 20 hugs a day? 13 to 20 hugs a day. And we now live in a society where we're told keep our hands to ourselves Mm -hmm. We don't handshake, right? Because we're texting on the phone. We're not meeting people face to face. You don't get that hug on the back or that sidearm hug. You know, we're not getting that physical contact that we need to. And it releases endorphins. Endorphins are needed to make us feel better, which then leads to the whole, right? We don't, we're not necessarily bailing together. We're not working side by side. I mean, all of the things that used to happen are not happening any longer. And we're also seeing, unfortunately, more diseases, right? Right now with the bans for our dairy industry, um, prices are dropping. And unfortunately, people are starting to think that they're worth more gone than with us. Yeah. And that's heart-wrenching. Yes. So um, what are some of the warning signs people should look for in friends and family that might be at risk? And you talked about, you know, te- texting in f- uh, phone conversation instead of texting is is it something as simple as that so that you can hear and notice maybe the tone of their voice that maybe they're down more than usual or what what besides that also can people should people be looking for well right obviously you know if you're speaking with someone you can tell that they're not themselves other things that we can look at and it's very hard because in general farming and ranching are ice tend to be more isolated mm-hmm. um you're, you're in your own home, you're in your own space, you're not going into an office where maybe you have a coworker. So maybe it's family members um, who are noticing this and don't know what to say. But you could see some um, signs, maybe individuals are sleeping more, maybe they are getting angry. Anger is actually um, a sign of anxiety and depression. Maybe they're um, self-medicating, so maybe there's an increase in alcohol use. There could also be um, a lot of social withdrawal. So if individuals are asking them to go somewhere, maybe they're like, no, I I really don't feel like doing that or making excuses not to engage. 
So things that people can do are simple. Um, you know, I really care about you. I notice you're not um, yourself lately. Have you talked to a doctor about what's happening? Have you had a physical? You know, if we start with ruling out the physical symptoms that there's nothing wrong, we can get to the heart of the brain um, problems because there are lots of ways that we can treat anything that's happening, you know, but we, we definitely have to keep reaching out. I think one of the hardest things is that this is not a casserole disease is what we like to say. When you find out that someone, when you find out that someone has been diagnosed with cancer, for example, we tend to rally around them. Um, My husband is a stage four cancer survivor and our community was phenomenal in helping our family. Um, People brought us meals. People helped take him to the doctor's appointments, um, things like that. I myself was diagnosed with an anxiety disorder about 14 years ago. And it's very interesting because very few people asked me, did you go to your doctor? What did they say today? Are you you taking your medication? Um, I, I know you seem a little off. You know, because it's very easy to pick up the phone and cancel an appointment. Um, So you don't do that when you have other um, diseases, but you tend to do that a lot more when you have, because your brain is telling you things that aren't true. So the way that you're seeing reality, so friends and family encouraging, hey, I'm going to pick you up. Let's go out for coffee. Um, If it's a financial worry, find something to do that's not going to cost money. You know, it doesn't cost anything to be a listener and, um, you know, things that we shouldn't do are like, hey, snap out of it, you know, get your act together or things like, hey, it's going to get better. Because when you're in that, you really don't, it's hard to see that light at the end of the tunnel. Right, right. So farmers can be very proud. I don't want to paint paint all farmers with a broad brush because obviously there are exceptions to everything, but they can be very proud and no one wants uh, to be seen as weak or as vulnerable. So how, how can a person offer help without, without offending, offending the person? That's a great question. And I think that that's true across the board and population. I don't think farmers, um, are alone in that we want to be self-sufficient, which leads to why there is probably an increase in all of this, right? We are told that we need to do it on our own. So I think for people who think, who are concerned about a family member or concerned about a friend, don't take no for an answer is the biggest thing. Keep your eyes open. If you notice that these symptoms are continuing for anywhere from three to four weeks is when we we say that it's more than just a normal mood swing, right? Because we all cycle. We all cycle through different emotions. And there are times when you just are sad. And there are times you're just melancholy. So if you notice those signs and symptoms, I don't want to say be tenacious and be bold um, in a way that is like get in someone's face and be annoying, but you definitely want to be a calm, quiet presence and, and don't give up. Um, So just encouraging church attendance. If you're, if you're a faith-based person, encouraging um, coming to family gatherings, you know, reaching out and not keeping it to yourself, you know, asking other people, Hey, are you noticing because I'm seeing this and I'm really worried. And I think the biggest way to reach out is to just say, I really care about you. And if, if you had asthma, I would, I would give you a respirator. If you were lying on the ground and needed CPR, I would give you CPR. And, and it's okay that right now you're not feeling yourself. So let's do what we can because I love you and I care about you and I want you to be around. And sometimes that's all it takes is that 
constant calm presence. Um, in mental health first aid, we teach um, five steps. And the five steps, um, the acronym is called ALGI. And the first one is to assess for risk of suicide or harm. So being bold and asking somebody, you know, I noticed you're not being yourself lately. Have you thought about um, killing yourself? Have you thought about harming yourself? Um, sometimes that's enough to shock people to go, whoa, I didn't realize that I was acting like that. And they'll be like, no, um, I don't think so. But, you know, and the next one is to listen and to listen non-judgmentally without putting your own thoughts or fears into what you're doing. The next is to give information. There are lots of wonderful websites, lots of wonderful books, lots of wonderful things that you can give to someone where, hey, you know, maybe this article would help. Um, there's a great website called The Mighty where individuals share their struggles with anxiety and depression. Um, that have a lot of wonderful stories so that you learn that you're not alone. And then finally, giving people um, encouraging appropriate professional help and then encouraging people to find um, self-help. So just you kind of have to be creative if you're the caregiver and figure out what works and, and also give yourself permission to tap out and ask other people to help because maybe it's not your voice that will be heard. Right. Maybe it will be someone else's. So, so the algae acronym assess, listen, give, and then encourage. Encourage, right. So assess for risk of suicide or harm. Mm -hmm. Listen non-judgmentally. Give reassurance and information. Encourage appropriate professional help. Okay. And encourage self-help and other support strategies. Okay. And that is from the mental health um, first aid program and their website is www.mentalhealthfirstaid.org mental health and that's so it's a wonderful program they have two different classes one is an adult class and the statistics are based on individuals who are 18 and over and it helps people to recognize and identify signs and symptoms um, it is an eight-hour class, so it does seem like a long class, but it's worth the investment. Just like CPR or first aid, it is a three-year certification. Um, and then there is one for adults who work with youth, and it helps you determine what is normal teenage development and what is when should we step in and go, oh, you're not just a hormonal mess, right? Here, you need some extra help. And we've all been there. We all remember, and none of us would willingly go back to our teenage years, I'm sure, because of that. <laughs> yeah, I, I know I wouldn't. Um, yeah. So you kind of touched on this, and I kind of wanted to see if there was uh, a little bit more there. But um, you talked about learn, noticing and um, discerning the difference between someone who's just maybe going through a rough patch and is going to be able to come out of it on their own and someone who's actually at risk. Um, you said three, three weeks. Is that, was that kind of the. Right. So we look at someone, if they've been exhibiting the behaviors, um, so increased anger, loss of appetite, um, extra fatigue and, and every, every individual disease, right, has a different set of warning symptoms. And I'd be more than happy to, um, you know, get those to you, Jason, so that you can post them on your website and share those. Um, but what we want to look at is if the behaviors are continuing for more than three weeks. And the reason for that is, is that, right, 
we all know our hormone cycle. Um, but if someone is, is consistently not being able to get out of bed and it's not just, oh my gosh, I had a rough week or it was been a hard day in the field and I'm tired, you know, if it's consistent, then we know that there's probably something else going on and they're not going to be able to um, overcome it on their own and probably need some extra help. Okay. That's, that's great information. So we kind of touched on earlier about kind of the detrimental effects of social media, how it can be an illusion. Um, Are there any ways we can actually use technology like social media in a way that's helpful? Oh, absolutely. So there are some wonderful apps. There is one actually that's called Calm Harm, C-A-L-M-H-A-R-M. And this is an app that is a cognitive behavioral therapy app. And cognitive behavioral therapy is something that if you do see a psychologist um, or, or a psychiatrist or even a family doctor, it's a way for you to reset yourself. So Calm Harm actually takes you through the steps that you need. It asks you if you want to do a 5, 10, or 15-minute, um, you know, reset and it asks you questions to help you breathe and do different things like that there are wonderful you know yoga videos out there there are wonderful exercise videos for all of those self-help things i would encourage people too there are some different things harvard has a um, screening tool so there's some great screening tools out there if you think that you may be suffering from a mental illness where you can answer the questions and determine, oh, yeah, you know what, I might be at risk for this. Maybe I should call my doctor and see what's happening. The other thing is, is that you can learn that you're not alone, right? Like I said, there are things like the mighty where people are sharing their stories and you go, oh. And so instead of having that stigma of someone's going to to send me off and put me away, and there are times that we do need, right? We do need those three days away. We do need to have that intervention, but that's not always the case. There is hope, and I think that we can find that. I would encourage people, though, that if you are searching on the web and you are looking up signs and symptoms, please always end your Google search or your um, whatever search engine you're using. Always put the word site, S-I-T-E, um, a colon, and then .gov, .edu, .extension, so that you know that you are getting research-based information. Because unfortunately, sometimes when you Google the sites, if you don't put those words after it, you don't know who off the street decided to put information up there, and it will not be good. It could actually be very, very harmful. So if you're Googling depression, sometimes if you just put that in, what comes up are things that tell you things like you deserve to die. Wow. We don't want we don't want someone seeing that or here are ways that you can hurt yourself. So always make sure that you are looking for apps that are based in the medical profession or through the National Institute of Health that um, are through being passed on to you by extension professionals because we are making sure that what we're giving you is research based information. So big caution there. Yeah, that's I had I mean, I've got two uh, teen preteen kids and and we're trying to teach them you know just because you read it on the internet doesn't make it make it true and you know i had never even thought of somebody typing in looking for help for mental mental health or you know suicidal thoughts and coming across stuff that's actually going to 
be the opposite of what they need. And wow, yeah, that's really a really great um, insight. Thank you for that. Yeah. The other thing is, is that as far as texting goes, there is a national texting number that is very important for people to know. You can text the word help, the word start to 741-741, and you will be connected with a licensed counselor. And the beauty of that is, is that we tried it in one of our um, coalition meetings and they were like, do you need our help? And we're like, oh, we're a coalition and we're just trying this out to see what's happening. And they said, well, thank you for asking questions. Here's our process, but we need to go now because there's someone who there's going to be someone who needs our help. Wow. So um, that is a great place um, to go. So it's you text anything to 741741. Um, the National, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number is also one 800 Two seven three eight two five five. The beauty of that, and their website is also wonderful. Um, with resources, you can. There's a button on their website where you can chat with them, so you can do texting. So if you're in school, or you're in your tractor, or you're someplace where you can't hear, you can get connected with somebody right away. So that's a good thing because back in the day, right. I had a party line growing up and I never knew who was going to be on the phone and the rotary dialer who was going to hear my conversation. So one, one thing about us being more connected is that we do have more accessibility and more availability to be able to say, I just need a few minutes and walk out and check in with someone. And I think that that's, that's a positive thing that can happen. Definitely. Um, Yeah. I, one of my last questions you've already given me a great, a bunch of great answers to, but it was, uh, where can, um, where can people find help for themselves or for loved ones? And so, yeah, you've given me several, the call harm app, the Kate project, the mighty, um, the, uh, hotline, the text line. Are there any others that, that you've got that we should add to our list? And we'll put all of these in the show notes, um, for, for, uh, for this episode on the website on agriculture.com. Okay. I will, I will send you some that I have as well. So you can put them in because I do have some national um, information locally though. You want to make sure that you're connecting with um, your behavioral health um, services. So we are a tri-county. We're a very rural area. We, we have a tri-county um, system, but locally your health department is the best place to call. Your health department will be able to connect you up with any local resources that you need. So whatever county you're in and wherever you are, call the nurses at your health department. They, they're a great first step to anything that you need. Um, that one, I think, is there's a, that's an underutilized resource in all of our communities. Most of them are also required for grant funds to have resources and a PDF of local resource and a resource directory. So the mental, um, so your local health department's website is also another great place to start. Okay. So you can look for a, a list of local, um, services that, that can, that can help. That's right. Connect you local. I, I also hope if, you know, if anyone is listening to this, um, and are involved in, um, like I said, churches or a spiritual thing, it's really important to encourage, um, your church and I've seen many churches, if you have one of those little boards, right, where people can pick up information, 
to put some of the cards in there of your local mental health resources. You never know what your sermon or what your message may spark or what may happen at a Bible study that may trigger something for someone. Um, so having that that they can grab on their way out or even including that in your church bulletin is a wonderful thing to do as well for us to be more aware of that. Um, so many of us go to our pastors for spiritual counseling, but I wouldn't want them to diagnose me with cancer. So in remembering that mental illness sometimes is a brain disease, we want you to have support strategies from your clergy and from your um, friends. But we also want to encourage you to find the help locally that you need. So I would encourage anybody who's listening who is involved in their, um, you know, in a spiritual way, whatever your religion, to start talking about that and how can your congregation make people more aware. Yeah, that's an, another, you bring up another great point in at what point should somebody hand off uh, a, a family member or friend or, or a parishioner and say, you need, you need more help than I can give you. How do you know when to have that conversation and then how do you do it? Right. So I would say, um, and as someone who was in ministry for, you know, 17 years, I would say a good rule of thumb is, is if someone is coming and you're hearing the same things repetitively and you feel like you're at a point where the spiritual part of it, right, because we want to encourage self-help and other support strategies and spiritual counseling and speaking with your pastor are very important. Um, but if you're noticing that they're still cycling through and you're hearing the same things and it's not seeming right to be able to change, then I would encourage them to, um, and have those numbers as a clergy person or as a, a lay leader in your congregation, or even as a friend, have some individuals who, you know, are reputable. I think about when my husband was diagnosed with cancer, right? And we went to multiple doctors before we chose the doctors that we wanted to go with, just because you have a bad experience with a mental health professional, that just may not be the right fit for you. You may need someone else. So as a clergy person, have a couple of people that you can trust who you know you could refer people to and be willing to make that phone call with someone before they leave your office. A lot of times, right? So with cancer, we were never alone. People were there to help us. People, I took we, we took multiple people with us to the doctor's appointments because we needed somebody to write down what was said. So if you're suffering and you're going to see a mental health professional, encourage someone to come in at the end of your appointment or at the beginning of your appointment and to write down what the steps are. You don't need to share your personal information, but that extra support mm -hmm. that you have of what's next, then you have that accountability. And all of us, you know, depending on what your faith background is, accountability and fellowship are big parts of every religion. So having that are very good. So I think as a pastor, again, three to four weeks, if you're noticing that, encourage someone um, to to see somebody. Uh, well, that's really helpful information. And, and hopefully anybody who might be listening um, is able to uh, to use a lot of this information and uh and help anybody that might need it. Um, Jamie, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, thanks for uh, sharing all of, all of your expertise. Uh, is there anything else you'd, you'd like to add before we, uh, before we wrap up? Well, one, just um, thanks to everyone for listening and thanks for giving us a call. I think the biggest thing is just remember there's hope. There are lots of individuals who are living with a mental illness and you do not have to give up. Keep fighting. 
Um, be open, be honest, and um, ask for help if you need it. And for those who have a loved one who is suffering, you know, if there's a bad day, just keep loving. Um, because we all know that that happens, whether, no matter what it is. So don't give up and keep fighting. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to the Successful Farming Podcast. And thanks again to Jamie Delafield for being on the show. Please uh, subscribe and leave a rating and a comment on iTunes if you like the show. And you can visit agriculture.com slash podcast for a great list of resources on mental health. If you feel you or someone you know is struggling with depression or anxiety, I urge you to talk to someone about it. Find help. Reach out to your local county health department, your doctor, or any of the places listed in the show notes on agriculture.com slash podcast. I also encourage everyone that is listening to make a point in the next couple of weeks to tell the people in your life that you care about them. Thanks again to Jamie Delafield of OSU Extension for sharing her expertise and all the links to all the resources that you can find. Thanks to you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Successful Farming Podcast. Podcast.